it's good to be with you this morning and to celebrate this wonderful day because I think that we all know what happened a little over 2,000 years ago today. The one who was called the King of the Jews came riding into Jerusalem with an entourage, with crowds, with people throwing cloaks before him, people cutting palm branches. The city was stirred as Pontius Pilate rode into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week. Did you think I was talking about something else? It sounds like it, right? You see, not not many people might know this today, but it was customary for the Roman governor of Judea to enter into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week, which is what this was. He was supposed to come to help keep the peace and also to remind the Jewish people there that though they could have their little celebrations, they were nonetheless under the rule of Rome. And so it was customary for the Roman governor to come in riding a war horse and be welcomed as the king of the Jews, which is what Pilate was called. You see, if you really want to understand and feel the tension of Holy Week, if you want to immerse yourself in it and kind of understand the mindset and what was going on that week, you have to picture this scene over 2,000 years ago when the people of Jerusalem were witnessing kingdoms in conflict, when they had a choice to make. You see, on one side of the city, Jesus entered Jerusalem from the east. And that's very theologically significant, but I don't have time to get into it right now. Had a whole section, how to take it out. But ask me later or submit it to the podcast. But Jesus entered Jerusalem from the east and he was riding a donkey. Not just a donkey, a colt of a donkey. He was accompanied by people like fishermen and women and tradesmen and just your everyday average people. It wasn't very impressive. And so this is what the, uh, the east side had to offer. You had the one who was called the king of the Jews, the one who was called the son of God, entering Jerusalem on a donkey with just a bunch of average, everyday people. But then on the exact opposite side of the city, folks, and understand this tension, the exact opposite side, at probably the exact time, at the west, Pontius Pilate was entering Jerusalem from the west. And he entered Jerusalem in a full military attire. He rode a war stallion that was decked out in armor. He brought with him legions of Roman soldiers. They were marching to the beat of a drum. He was entering into the city and trumpeters were announcing their arrival. It was full fanfare. And so, never forget that Pilate's official title was the King of the Jews. And since he was the Roman governor of Judea... He came as a representative of Caesar. And the Caesar of the time was Tiberius Caesar, who was called the Son of God. Do you see the tension here? Do you see the choice they're having to make? This is what the West Side had to offer. A known military leader who has been proven in combat, riding a war stallion, who comes in full fanfare. He's got the the soldiers and the armor and the war horses to back it up. He's called the king of the Jews, and he comes as a representative of the Son of God. And so if you are living in Jerusalem at this time, you have a very important decision to make, don't you? It could be the biggest decision 
that you ever make? Christ or Caesar? The same decision that a lot of us have to make today. To the east to welcome Jesus or to the west to welcome Pilate? And your decision is going to be the biggest one of your life. Because it could be a treasonous decision, right? You're choosing who to give your allegiance to. You're deciding right then and right there who is the true king of the Jews. Who is the true son of God? Who is the true person who is worthy of being welcomed into the city and worthy of your praise and your admiration and your cries of Hosanna? And as you begin to think about that choice, you're going to ask yourself some questions like, well, which one can better give me what I want? Which, which one can make my dreams a reality? Which one is best and most aligned with my beliefs and my wants and my desires? And as you make your decision, like many people did on that day, maybe you choose Christ. Because here's what I know. On that day, when they had that decision to make, when literally on polar opposite sides of the city you have competing kingdoms, a large majority of people on that day chose Jesus and said he is worthy of being welcomed as the king of the Jews. But I want you to understand this, folks, that almost everyone who chose Jesus on Sunday regretted it by Friday. That's not even a full week, is it? It's easy to like someone for a time. It's easy to idolize someone for a time. It's easy to feel joy for a time. But never forget that the same crowd that was ready to crown him on Friday was ready to crucify him on Sunday. Or vice versa. When he entered Jerusalem on Sunday, they cut branches to praise him. On Friday, they cut down a tree. To crucify him. It took less than one week to go from joy to jeers. And here's the reason I say all that to you this morning. The reason I bring all this to your attention is because I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the same thing is going to happen to many people in this room and many people in our world today. I know that there are people who are right now joyful about Jesus. They love Jesus, they say. He's their Savior, they say. They're joyful about who He is, what He can do for you, what He can provide for you, the type of future He has in store for you. But for many, that joy is going to turn to jeers at some point in your life. And you're going to walk away from Jesus. And you might be thinking, Pastor, that's not me. Right? That could never happen to me. I'm sound. I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I love Jesus. It might happen to everybody else in this room, but it'll never happen to me. I believe Peter said something kind of like that once too, didn't he? You might say and believe fully with all your heart this morning that it would never happen to you, but my question is, do you even know how it happens? Because if you don't know how it happens, then how can you say it won't happen to you? So here's what I want us to consider this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday together. I want us to consider what would cause us to go from joy to Jews. If it is possible, 
And if it happened to the crowds, and if it's happened to countless people in our world today, and if it could happen to you, we need to know the answer to this question. What would cause us to go from joy to jeers? And I think one of the, the clearest things that would send us in that direction is having an unbiblical view of Jesus. I want you to look at the first six verses with me again very quickly. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. You see, you have to understand, Jesus had visited Jerusalem many times throughout his life and ministry. But he is coming in a different way this time. This visit is different altogether. Jesus does not come now primarily as a rabbi to teach the crowds and correct the religious leaders. Jesus does not come now primarily as a miracle worker to perform signs and wonders. Jesus comes now as the promised Messiah and King who is ready to inaugurate his kingdom and fulfill God's word. And he does so by fulfilling this prophecy from Zechariah. If you read it in the Hebrew, in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you have to keep in mind that this prophecy was widely held to be about the future Messiah of the Jewish people the future Messiah that God was going to send, the one who was going to be the king over God's people, who would be called the king of the Jews. And you have to understand that the way Jesus arrived in this city on this day would have shocked everybody there. Because this is not how kings were supposed to show up. (laughs) Kings weren't supposed to ride donkeys. That's not what they did. Kings were supposed to show up on war horses, on stallions with armor around them, like Pilate. They weren't supposed to be riding donkeys, let alone baby donkeys. And so everybody there was shocked by Jesus' arrival, but I want you to notice this. It's entirely uh, hilarious almost that they were shocked by Jesus' arrival and didn't expect him to show up in this way, even though the Bible clearly said, the Messiah is coming to you. Riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. You see, here's the problem. The reason that this isn't what the people expected of Jesus is because they had an entirely unbiblical view of Jesus. Their understanding of who the Messiah was going to be, what the Messiah was going to do, what the one who was called the King of the Jews was going to be like, was not based primarily on Scripture. It was based on culture and religious tradition. There's a sermon there, but we're not getting into that one today. You see, the religious leaders of Israel had been mixing politics and religion for far too long. Another sermon, not for today. But they had been teaching the people that the Messiah was going to be a political Messiah. 
He was going to be a governmental Messiah. That the one who was called the Son of David was going to be a military leader who would deliver the people from Roman oppression. And so that is what the people expected of Jesus. The reason they ran to Him instead of Pilate is because they said, this is our Savior from Pilate. He's going to deliver us from Rome. We are going to be free from Roman oppression. So of course they shout Hosanna. This is who they understood Jesus to be. But notice this, folks. When Jesus didn't overthrow the government, they turned Jesus over to that government, didn't they? They were joyful when they thought they were going to be free of Rome, but when he was not the Savior they expected and understood him to be, they threw him to Rome. I want you to understand something this morning. If you expect Jesus to live up to your unbiblical ideas of him, you will be disappointed. If you expect Jesus to live up to your unbiblical ideas of him, you will be disappointed. Jesus will not be who we want him to be. Jesus will not be who I say that he is. Jesus will not be who the culture says that he is or who the culture wants him to be. Jesus Christ is who he is and he is the son of God incarnate who came to save his people from their sins. And if that is not the Jesus that you know, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They wanted him to be a political leader. They did not have a desire for a savior to come who would free them of their sins. And I want us to understand that there are just as many people today who have an entirely unbiblical view of Jesus. They say that they know him. They have all sorts of ideas about him. But those ideas are not primarily rooted in scripture. One of the most common ones you'll hear today is that Jesus was nothing more than a good moral teacher. People today, they like much of what he says. They think he had a good philosophy. They liked the the way that he taught the people. They had a a lot to say about how he taught them about social uh, engagement and things like that and how he was okay with all sorts of things and, and, and helping the needy and the poor and all this. They like almost everything Jesus had to say as long as it wasn't anything about sin and salvation. As long as Jesus is just a good moral teacher, they're okay with him. That's exactly the view of the religious leaders. Did you notice that here? When Jesus came to Jerusalem, they weren't happy about it, but they were going to put up with it, right? Because they knew him to be a rabbi. They knew that he was a traveling teacher, and and understand this, they did not like what he taught. They hated what he taught. But if he was just coming to Jerusalem as a traveling rabbi, they could get on board with that. However, when they drew near to that crowd, they heard the crowd saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were not okay with that because they knew what that meant. They knew what the crowds were asking for. And so it's it's funny. If you go on in Matthew 21 and verse 16, the Pharisees and the religious leaders say to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Luke's account's even funnier because in Luke's account, they continue and they say, make them stop. Do you hear what they're saying? You, You need to make them stop. Tell them to shut their mouths. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, stop them because they're claiming that you are the Messiah. They're saying that you are the son of David. They're saying that you are the promised king of the Jews who is to come. That's blasphemy. Do something about it. And notice what Jesus says. He goes, yeah. Have you never read? Which, pause, 
That's hilarious. Don't miss the parts of the Bible that are funny. That's hilarious because he's speaking to the people who had memorized the entire Torah and many of them the entire Old Testament. And he says to them, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Oh, that's good. And in Luke's account, Jesus goes on further and he says, listen, if I were to tell them to be quiet, the stones themselves would praise me. You cannot stop the praise that is coming to Jesus. If I won't praise Him, if you won't praise Him, the stones outside will praise Him because He is worthy of that praise. It is due to Him. In fact, Jesus had come to Zion. And the Bible says in Psalm 65, 1, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. That praise is due to Him So folks, it is coming to him. If you won't praise Jesus, someone else will. If that person won't do it, the trees outside will. The rocks will. Creation itself will give glory to the Son of God and praise him because he is worthy. He's the Messiah. Yeah, Jesus was a good moral teacher, folks. But that is not all that he was. You cannot simply reduce Jesus down to being nothing more than a teacher because Jesus himself claimed to be God in the flesh. And a lot of people have a problem with that today, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. John 8, 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now let me tell you something. Here's what's interesting about this verse. Keep it on the screen for me. The word he is not in the Greek at all. Jesus tells these people, unless you believe, ego I me, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Now why is that significant? You remember when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And he tells Moses, go back to Egypt, deliver my people. And, And Moses goes, I don't even know your name. He says, I am that I am. Who should I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. The living one, the true one, the self-existent one. You see, Jesus literally told the people, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. People are quite happy to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but when you confront them with the reality of his divinity and his purpose and his call upon the world, their joy will turn to jeers. They're content with a teacher to offer instruction. They want nothing to do with a Savior who brings salvation. And that's how an unbiblical view of Jesus can lead you to walking away from Jesus. One of the other most common ones in our day today is that people believe that Jesus is nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. And that's despicable. They're interested only in what He has to offer, only in what He can give them, but they have no love for Jesus Himself. You could do away with Jesus and keep the eternal life, the salvation, and the heaven, and get rid of Jesus, they would be totally content, totally happy. And this is exactly how the crowds viewed Jesus. They were praising him, welcoming him, throwing their cloaks before him, uh, throwing their branches before him. They were praising and saying, Hosanna to the Son of God who comes in the name of the Most High. They were all on board with Jesus. 
because they thought he was giving them deliverance from Rome. But they had no love for the person of Christ himself. I remember when Anna and I visited Zion National Park and we were hiking Angel's Landing and uh, it's a very strenuous hike and you get to almost the top and you're about 4,500 feet in the air, something like that, so it's you know, not too high up, but it's, it's pretty high up, okay? The cars look like ants at that point and there's this big landing and I remember overhearing a conversation between two teenage boys that day and I haven't forgotten it since then. Because they were talking about what would happen if they were to accidentally fall off. If they think they would die. If they would be scared to die. All that kind of stuff. And and one kid said to his friend, do you think that if you were to fall off the edge and die, that you would go to hell? And his friend, in typical teenage 14-year-old boy fashion, very confident and self-assured, goes, no, of course not. Because... On the way down, all I would do is just say, I believe in Jesus, and pray a quick prayer, and then he couldn't send me to hell. I'd be good. And I heard that, and I remember thinking, would he, though? Is that how that works, folks? Is that what the Bible teaches about salvation? That you're falling off a cliff and all you got to do at the last minute is just say, I believe in the name of Jesus and say a quick prayer and all of a sudden you don't go to hell because he couldn't do that at that point? Is that what the Bible says about salvation? You see, people today might fear hell and they might not want to go to hell, but just because you don't want to go to hell does not mean that you're going to heaven. The kids were asking the wrong question. The question is not, do you hate hell? Do you fear hell? The question, folks, is, do you love Jesus? That's the focus of the Bible. I don't know how we missed that. We're trying to scare people out of hell and into heaven when the reality is they might be afraid of hell and they might still go there. The question is, do you love Jesus? We've got to show them Christ. And this is, I mean, what gets me today, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but just bear with me. But what gets me today is we treat Jesus like he's nothing more than a get out of hell free card. You hear preachers preach these sermons. They preach on hell. Again, nothing wrong with it. It's a biblical reality. But they're trying to scare people into making a decision that has nothing to do with the person of Christ himself. They're clinging to the hope that they don't have to go to hell rather than clinging to Jesus as their Savior. You see, the message of the New Testament, everywhere you look, you will find one word repeated over and over and over and over again, and it's the word repent. John the Baptist, when he came on scene, his first word, his first message was repent. Jesus' first sermon was repent. Peter concluded his first sermon with the words repent. It means to turn from your sin. Not to use Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card. To turn from your sins. To hate your sins. To understand the heinousness of your sins. And understand the punishment that you deserve for your sins. To understand that you deserve nothing other than the wrath and condemnation of God for your sins. And as you're in the midst of that helplessness and hopelessness, and you understand that there is nothing you can do to save yourself, you look to Jesus as your only source and hope of salvation. You cling to Him. You see His sacrifice on your behalf. You understand that when He died on the cross, He died in your place. 
that the cross on which he died was meant for you. That the nails that went into his hands and his feet should have gone into ours. And then we cast ourselves on his mercy. We say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. This is what the Bible says salvation looks like. It is not simply not wanting to go to hell, being afraid of hell. Jesus is not your get out of hell free card, folks, because it was not free. It cost the Father the life of His one and only Son. There are many more unbiblical ideas about Jesus today, but suffice it to say that if your view of Jesus does not align with what the Bible says about Jesus, and then He fails to live up to your unbiblical ideas of Him, you will be disappointed and your joy will turn to Jews. Few things will turn our joy to jeers faster than an unbiblical view of Jesus. But I want you to see this one other thing here that will turn our joy to jeers, and that's unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Look at verses 7 through 11. The Bible says, They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, we have to understand that Jesus came to Jerusalem for a purpose. This was not a social visit. He came with intention. And we see that intention in a number of ways. Uh, one way is in the context of that Zechariah prophecy. Remember, he fulfilled that prophecy from Zechariah that foretold how he would come. But in the broader context, it says the purpose for his coming. In Zechariah 9, verses 16 through 17, it says, On that day, the Lord their God will save them. As the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. So what was the purpose, church? Why did he come to Jerusalem? Salvation. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. Jesus came to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of saving His people from their sins. And the crowds, of course, did have salvation in mind. They were thinking about salvation. That's why they cried out and said, Hosanna to the Son of David! The word Hosanna was a cry for help. It comes from the Hebrew word which means to save. And so it was a cry that means save us, we pray. They want Jesus to save them. So they spread their cloaks. They throw the palm branches. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're begging for salvation. The problem is the salvation they were asking for, the salvation that they expected Jesus to give them, was not the salvation Jesus was bringing. And that was awfully disappointing for them. They expected the king of the Jews to come to Jerusalem and kick Rome straight out of the city. 
He expected Jesus to come and dethrone Pilate and Caesar and say, you're not welcome here anymore. But when Jesus failed to do that and instead submitted himself to a Roman cross, the people were no longer interested in Jesus, were they? This is what ultimately causes the crowds to go from joy to jeers. They wanted salvation, just not the kind that Jesus was bringing. And I want you to understand this morning, if we expect Jesus to satisfy our personal preferences, we'll turn on Him when He doesn't. If we expect Jesus to satisfy our personal preferences, we will turn on Him. When he doesn't. And unfortunately, I know too many people just like this today. I know people personally in my own life who for whatever reason thought that they were in some sort of bartering relationship with God. Some sort of give and take. They had all sorts of expectations for Jesus. And so they said, if I just go to church, if I just give my tithe, if I just try to read my Bible, if I just try to go to a a Bible study or a small group, then here's what I expect from Jesus. He will give me a long, happy marriage. He will give me a good, well-paying job. I will have a long, happy, successful life. I've got an entire wish list, and Jesus, you're going to grant it because I did these things for you. This is what I expect of you. These are my personal preferences. But let me tell you something. As soon as Jesus did not give those people what they wanted, they have walked away from Jesus and had nothing to do with him since. This happens too often in our world, doesn't it? People have all sorts of expectations for Jesus. They expect Jesus to totally fix their lives and the lives of everyone around them, the world around them. People have all sorts of even well-meaning expectations of Jesus. They expect Jesus to heal their sick loved one. But when He doesn't, they turn on Him. They walk away from Him. They jeer at Him. People expect Jesus to keep their loved one from dying. But when He doesn't, that's enough for some people to leave the faith entirely. Some people expect Jesus to stop every setback and every sickness and every pain and every heartache and every battle from coming into their lives. And when they do keep coming and it's setback after setback after setback and it's pain and it's heartache and it's hardship and your whole life is falling apart and Jesus isn't doing anything to address your preference in that situation, that's enough to get a lot of people out of the faith. They walk away. They want nothing to do with Jesus anymore. Folks, that's what I'm warning you about here. People who at one point were joyful about Jesus begin to jeer at him when he does not satisfy their own personal preferences. And I just have to tell you this morning, as your pastor, I say this out of love, I just want you to know that's not how Jesus works. Jesus is not some genie who exists to grant our every wish. Jesus is the Son of God who came to die and reconcile us to God. He came to save us from our sins. Jesus didn't come to satisfy our personal preferences. He came to meet our greatest needs. And there is no greater need in our world today than to be reconciled to God in Christ and have peace with God. And that's exactly what we get with Jesus. 
We see exactly what kind of Savior He is, don't we? I don't want you to miss this, folks. Notice this here. By arriving on the foal of a donkey, Jesus is demonstrating His very character, His humility, and His lowliness. And this is what Jesus said of Himself earlier in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, never forget, folks, that the burden of the law was heavy. Have you forgotten that today? The burden of the law was heavy. The requirements of the law were overwhelming. The law was constantly showing us how inadequate we were. The law was constantly showing us how impossible it was for us to satisfy God's standard for us. The law showed us everything that was expected of us and every way that we failed to do that, but it provided no help in order to get us to do what God called us to do. The law cannot help you in that way. We need something else. And then we have Jesus. And He comes on scene to fulfill God's law. To do for us what we could not even do for ourselves. And Jesus says to us today, I have not come to be a new burden to you. I have not come to add more to your load. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Bible says a bruised reed he will not break. That's how gentle our Savior is. You see, folks, his arrival was not an announcement of war. It was a sign of peace. He came to establish peace between us and God, and he did it through the blood of his cross. And that is the peace that we actually need. You might want peace in all your relationships in life, but you have to remember that Jesus did not come to satisfy our personal preferences. He came to meet our deepest needs. And the greatest need we have today is that need to be reconciled to God in Christ and have peace with God. So let me just put it like this. The crowds welcomed him with joy because of who they wanted him to be and who they expected him to be and what they expected of him. But when he failed to live up to their unbiblical views of him and when he failed to satisfy all of their personal preferences, they shouted, crucify him! Give us Barabbas! but crucify Jesus. That's how quickly their joy turned to jeers. Less than one week for them to go from crown Him to crucify Him. I want you to understand, the whole point is this, unless we receive Jesus as He is, our joy will turn to jeers. You want to know how it happens? Have some unbiblical ideas about Jesus. Have some unbiblical views of Him. You don't know how it happens? Expect Him to satisfy all of your personal preferences and create a Jesus of your own liking. You get down to the heart of it and it is this. Unless we receive Jesus as He is, our joy will turn to Jesus. 
I know that you're sitting here this morning thinking, again, Pastor, this could never happen to me. I grew up in George's Creek Baptist Church. I was born in George's Creek Baptist Church. I was baptized here. I made a profession of faith here. I've been a Christian my whole life. It could never happen to me because I believe in Jesus. Well, let me remind you this morning, folks, that Muslims believe in a Jesus. Buddhists and Hindus believe in a Jesus. Mormons believe in a Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a Jesus. The problem is, it's just not the Jesus of the Bible. The crowd asked the right question when they saw Jesus coming into town. They said, who is this? And how you answer that question says everything about you. When you look at Jesus this morning, who do you see? Do you see someone who exists solely to satisfy your personal preferences? A genie to grant your every wish? Or do you see the Son of God who came to meet our deepest needs? When you look at Jesus this morning, do you see a Jesus of your own liking? One that you have created that you're okay with? One who always agrees with you? One who always approves of everything that you do? One who is lax on sin? One who says that you're always in the right, you're never in the wrong, it's always everybody else? Or is the Jesus that you claim to love actually the Jesus of the Bible? See, folks, I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus comes into our lives this morning the same way that he came into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago today. Humble, meek, lowly, and ready to save his people from their sins. You can hate him. You can dismiss him. You can reject him. But the one thing that we cannot do is change him. He is who he is. And if we don't want our joy to turn to jeers, then we must accept Jesus as he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of God's new creation, Master, Creator, Savior, Mediator, Friend. Will you welcome him like that into your life this morning? Let's pray.